to you. God has been so good to us, hasn't he? He has. He has. You should always be able to say yes to that. No matter what's going on, you should always be able to say yes to that because God is inherently good. And if he did nothing more for you than die on the cross and be raised from the dead for your sake, that would be more than enough for you to say every day of your life, God is good, wouldn't it? You know, he didn't just stop there, but if he had, that'd be more than enough because that is all, all that this life is wrapped up in is what Jesus did for us. And so we're thankful for it. I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts. We've been going through the book of Acts for a few months now. We find ourselves in Acts chapter 13. I don't know if you folks remember, but a couple weeks ago is where we left off. And we left off in Acts 13 with this big moment of the church being gathered together in Antioch and their leaders gathering together. And what, because anybody tell me what they were doing a couple weeks ago? You know, I realize that's a long time. They were praying, absolutely. Waiting for the Lord, ministering to the Lord, right? Fasting. In fact, that's what the scripture says. They were ministering to the Lord and fasting. And we could talk about what ministering to the Lord is. In fact, we did a couple weeks ago, but that's a, that's a big deal. Because the Bible doesn't even say that they went looking for answers. It just says they were ministering to the Lord. And as they were ministering to the Lord, the Lord spoke to them. And he said, set apart for me for the work of the ministry. Set apart Barnabas and set apart Saul. And Saul would later become known as Paul. And they set those two guys aside. And you guys know how hard it is to give up two of your best preachers, two of your best leaders. That would be difficult. But the church in Antioch was a church that knew that they're only increased by what they give. You see, the world says, what I give will decrease me. What I give, if I give something away, I have less. But in the kingdom of God, we know the more we give, the more we're increased. So as they gave, they said, this is not taking anything away from us because God gave us these guys to start with. God gave us gifts. If God was the one that gave it, if he tells us to give it away, we're good. So they did that. But they didn't just say, okay, guys, the Lord spoke, get out of here. They had already been ministering to the Lord, right? They'd already been fasting. But the Bible says that when the Lord spoke to them, and he probably used a prophet to do it, what's interesting, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, what's interesting is that when he did this, he said, set them apart to the work I have called them to. And you know, if you go back and read Saul's account, Paul's account of how he was saved and how the Lord spoke to him, Saul and Barnabas already knew that this was what they were called to, but the prophetic word confirmed it to them. And as they were set apart, they didn't just leave. The Bible says they all began to pray and fast, and then they laid their hands on them and they sent them out. They didn't come up and they didn't say, okay, guys, we have to have another strategy meeting. We need to see all the places need to get hit. They didn't say, let's get out the latest stats and see what people are looking for in a preacher. Let's see, what, let's see the areas that they seem most ripe. Let's, let's look at the stats. Look at the, look at the different grids. You know, I, I heard somebody did a research poll. Let's check that out. You know what they did? They sought the Lord. He's the king, isn't he? Right? We call him Lord. Back that up. You know, so many times we have based our ministry based ministry to the world around what we think is best, around the, the latest research, around a big strategy meeting where everybody has their ideas. But I'm suggesting to you, and I'm sure you're already on board with this, I'm suggesting we have a lot more prayer meetings. Strategy meetings are great. Vision meetings are great. But what would happen if we sought his ruling, his advice, his opinion above our own? Because the truth is you can put out a map and you can look on that map and you can say, here's what it seems like we should do. 
but God knows what you don't know. And as they sought the Lord, he gave them a plan. Well, we're about to see the first place Paul and Barnabas hit. And we find that in Acts chapter 13. I don't know if they fully were aware of what they were getting into, what they were jumping into. I don't think any of us would have fully had a great idea what we were jumping into if this was what we were called to. The church up to this point, the only missions activity that's happened in the church up to this point has been because they were scattered because of persecution. People were just trying to find a place to live, and on the way they preached the gospel. This is the first time they're sending two guys out into the great unknown. And this little missionary trip changed the world forever. Most of your Bible in the New Testament, those letters that are written in the New Testament, come out of churches that were started in the three missionary trips that followed. This little trip changed the world. So these two guys, and of course they take little John along with them. I call him little John. It's not John the disciple. It's John Mark. And we'll find out a little bit more of him later. But as we, we come upon this in Acts chapter 13, I want you to go ahead and We'll skip what we've already read, and we're going to go down to verse 4. So they fasted, they prayed, they laid their hands on them. This was a Holy Spirit trip, wasn't it? This is not just like a, well, let's just see where we go. Let's see where we head. In Acts chapter 13, verse 4, it says, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. So Antioch's up here, Seleucia is still kind of in the same area. If you went further down, you'd be headed back to Jerusalem. They didn't go that far. They just went a little bit south to Seleucia. Then they got in a boat and they went over to the island of Cyprus. When they got there, they reached Salamis and they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they also had John as their helper. When they'd gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they found a magician, a Jewish false prophet, whose name was Bar-Jesus. Isn't that interesting? The first false prophet they come upon actually has the name of Bar-Jesus, which Bar being a Hebrew uh, prefix that would just mean son of Jesus. He's most certainly not son of Jesus. So he's a a false prophet, and and we've run into a magician before. Does anybody remember his name in in the book of Acts? Acts chapter 8? Simon the magician, right? These were folks that mixed a little bit of Judaism with a little bit of paganism. They uh, tried to impress people with false signs and wonders. In fact, Simon tried to buy the gift of the Holy Spirit, and Peter gave him a tongue lashing. Do you remember that? Peter looks at him and says, who do you think you are? You think you can buy this? He says, you better repent lest something worse happens to you. You better get on your face because this is not a nice thing that you're doing. Well, the guy he, he said he didn't really repent. He wasn't sad that he had displeased the Holy Spirit. He was sad because he was afraid something was going to happen to him. But anyways, we come upon Bar-Jesus here, Bar-Yeshua. And in verse 7, it says he was with the proconsul. Now, a proconsul, in, in the Roman government, they'd have a consul, which is like a governor. And he's, he reports back to Rome. He reports back to the emperor and the senate. And so a proconsul is like a deputy, all right, like a deputy governor. A lieutenant governor, we're in Canada, let's call him a lieutenant governor, can we? So, <laughs> lieutenant governor, what am I saying? My goodness. You might, uh, we might have some people that don't understand what I'm talking about, Tony, if I don't say lieutenant. It's never made sense to me, lieutenant. Anyways, who was with the, pro, neither did colonel, so let's just move on. Who was the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. Hey, thank God, God still likes people with a brain, right? 
You know, I know Jesus picked fishermen, but he also did pick a tax collector. Whether you were dumb or you were smart, Jesus had a place. The only question was, would you be able to lay down your pride in your own self-righteousness, in your own self-intelligence, and seek his wisdom? That was the question. So this is a man of intelligence. He's a lieutenant governor. He's the deputy. And this man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. I like this guy. I like him already because you know what? He didn't, it doesn't say he summoned them so he could see what the big deal was about. It says he summoned them and he sought. So he was seeking to hear the word of God. What did Jesus say? Those that seek, find. Those that knock, the doors open. Those that ask, receive. This guy's seeking. I'm so thankful that we serve a God that when people are seeking him, he will reach out to them. What did God say in Jeremiah? He said, you will seek, you will find me if you seek for, I will let myself be found by you. You will find me if you seek for me with all your heart. Here's a man who's seeking God. But of course, he's got a little flunky with him. A little bar J over here, bar Jesus. Some little toady who's been whispering in his ears, playing tricks. Isn't it interesting to you that every time the word of the Lord comes to a heathen, non-covenant, royal court, whether it be Pharaoh's court or Nebuchadnezzar's court, whether it be the Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Persians, there's always some false magician there. Do you ever notice that? When you're in Egypt, you have those Jonas and Jambres, you have these two guys doing tricks, and Moses and Aaron come along, and, and they go, oh, we can do that too. Whatever your God can do, we can do better. So Aaron tosses a stick on the his staff on the ground. It turns into a snake. They go, we can do that. Now, I don't know whether they were working by some sort of demonic power or whether they just were really good tricksters. But whatever it is, they came up with some snakes. And they said, look, we can make snakes too. Well, of course, Aaron's serpent eats up the other snakes, which is pretty impressive. <laughs> and I wish I could have been there to see that. And, of course, you know that Daniel had to deal with these guys too. Do you remember when Daniel had to deal with that? And, uh, and these wise men and magicians, they were, they were hanging around the king and they would interpret his dreams and all of a sudden he had something they could not interpret. He had some questions for them they couldn't answer and he was going to kill all of them. Daniel said, hang on, because he got drafted in that club. I don't want to die for these people's stupidity. Let me talk to you. And he said, I don't interpret dreams, but I know a God that does. So it seems like, you can draw your own conclusions here, but it seems like in these major powers, in these major seats of government, there were demonic forces at work to control the government. Now you realize that when Daniel was praying by the river and he was seeking the Lord, and remember he had to pray and he sought the Lord for 21 days he stayed there. And when an angel gets to him, the angel Gabriel gets to him. He says, I've come for your words. I came because you prayed. And the moment you prayed, God heard you. But I've had to, I was resisted by the prince of Greece and the prince of Persia. Well, you know, he's not talking about people. He was talking about demonic forces that were controlling people. He said, I was resisted. Now, now if you think, if you're like, hang on, 
This is some weird juju mungumbo. I'm not messing with this right now. You're in fantasy land talking about weird spirits up there. Can I tell you if Jesus talked about it, if Jesus cast out evil spirits, if Jesus said there's a battle going on up there, who are you to tell me there's not? We know there is. There's more than you can see. And just because you can't see it and we think we're smart because we figured some stuff out doesn't mean we figured it all out. I believe Jesus. I believe the word. So there's stuff you can't see. There are forces out there that we're not even aware of, but by the spirit, we know they're there. Ephesians 6 says, and I think you know where I'm going with this. He said, for the weapons of our warfare are not current. Well, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going to a different place. He says, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Means our enemy is not people. That's what so many Christians get wrong on their, on their Facebook crusades. Don't you love those? And if you don't forward this to your friends, if you don't like this, if you don't link to this, you're an enemy of God. Really? <laughs> you know, they always tag that at the end. See, before Facebook, it was chain emails. I hated those. Oh, I hated those. I love the people. I hated those. And I remember at the bottom, and they still do this on Facebook. They still do this. And this is why I'm so rarely on Facebook. But they still do this. And they quote the verse, if you deny before, before men, I'll deny you before the Father. As if me not posting your loony conspiracy theory stuff is denying Jesus. I'm not, not linking to that because I'm ashamed of Jesus. I'm not linking to that because it's crazy stuff. I mean, because it's not my mission. But, you know, some people, they make it, they make it, and they, they look at these people in government, or they look at these leaders, and they think, these guys are the enemies. These guys are just pawns, guys. The real enemy, you can't see. The real enemy, Jesus clearly defined. The real enemy in Ephesians 6 says our, wep says, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age. Listen to that. Principalities, powers rulers of the darkness of this age. So there's spiritual warfare going on that you can't see that's controlling government. Now, it's, it, you know, people have to kind of submit to that, don't they? It's not, they're not just blindly being controlled. People have to just, you know, it's controlling culture. It's controlling media. It's, it's affecting things. He said, that's our battle. Our battle's not people. You don't fight people. You fight the spirit, Right? Not the Holy Spirit, the other spirits. Look what it says. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. And where is the heavenly places? You might have just thought there's heaven, earth, and there's hell. But the heavenly places we can best describe as a place, it's a spiritual realm. It's not earth. It's not heaven. It's a spiritual realm where the battle goes on. The scripture talks about this in the Old and New Testament. Those forces use people. And it's interesting to me, once again, you can draw your own conclusion, but it's interesting to me that in every one of these major governments that we come across in the Old and New Testament, there's some flunky there whispering in somebody's ear that's being used by the enemy. This guy, Bar-Jesus, is an influence, yet Sergius Paulus, he's seeking the Lord. He wants God. He's looking for the word of God. Find me one guy like that. I will go after him. Do you ever notice that in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, God's sending these guys to places and they're going through all these things to get there for like one guy, for two guys, for three guys. God will send somebody across a sea. Do you remember Jesus? His, his staff, his entire staff almost drowned. 
trying to get to the other side. Now, of course, they never were because Jesus was in the boat. But remember, the goal was to get to the other side. Remember what happened when they got to the other side? One guy got delivered. And the city said, you're freaking us out. Because crazy naked man who lives in the graves is clothed. See, we weren't freaked out when crazy naked guy was running around. We're really freaked out that he's got clothes on now. Spooky. They said, leave. They begged him to leave their city. Not a smart move. But remember, Jesus gets in the boat, and this guy, rightly so, says, can I get in the boat with you? And Jesus says, you stay here. You tell people what I did for you. You tell people that the Lord had mercy on you. And I find that fascinating, that Jesus went to all that trouble to get to the other side. I'm sure the disciples thought, we almost died, man. We were in the boat. You almost killed us. And we don't even stay here longer than a few hours. But it was worth it for one man, one guy. God will send people to those that are seeking. You're probably the people he's going to send. Keep yourself open to it. Sometimes we just are so ruled by numbers. We, th- we think of success like the world thinks of success. And, and you think that there's a heavenly rookie card of you up there that's got your stats, how many people this person got saved, and that he's going to line you up against Billy Graham and all these other people. But the truth is, how you're judged, first of all, the judgment for our sin has been taken by Jesus, thank God. But how you're held to account for what you did do, because the Bible says there will be an accounting for that. How you're held into account is not based on your stats, but based on were you obedient to the Holy Spirit? Did you obey the Lord? Did you do it with your heart? And so here's the deal. Jesus is going to send you. He might send you for one person. You find that guy. You find that woman. And you do whatever the Lord tells you to do. This is what he says. He, Sergius Paulus was a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. In verse 8, but Elamus the magician, for that his name is, is translated. Elamus the magician, so this is his, his Greek name, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also known as Paul, finally we're going to get to call him Paul. Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, thank God for that, fixed his gaze on him. I don't know if I'd want to be opposing God and have Paul fix his gaze on me, full of the Holy Spirit. I don't think that ends well for you. This is what happens. And he said, you who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, oh man, You enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? We'll come back to that phrase in a minute. Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. Now normally that's really good, isn't it? (laughs) Hand of the Lord is upon you. Praise the Lord. I like that. It's not going to end well for this guy. The hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him. And he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, but John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So let's stop here for a minute. This is so um, awesome to me. I've never thought that somebody could be led to the Lord by somebody else going blind, but apparently it's happened. In fact, that's kind of how Saul came to the Lord, isn't it? But I'm not telling you to go out and just pray that people go blind. Uh, you have way more examples in the New Testament of people coming to the Lord because somebody got healed. <laughs> Why don't you go ahead and believe that? But here's the deal. 
We know that our God is a good God, don't we? I want you to see the great mercy of God here. The man was blind for a time. It's just a period of time. He was not permanently blind. His eyes didn't get gouged out. A mist came over him and he couldn't see. Long enough for him to shut up and go somewhere else. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> because the minute he can't see, he doesn't care what this guy believes. He's looking for people to lead him by the hand. He's looking for a seeing eye friend, you know. And so he's gone off. And Paul speaks to this man. And this man already believes he's amazed that this God that he's already seeking has done these great things. Now, here's the deal. Somebody that's already seeking the Lord, it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much. Because they're already seeking. And seeking you will find. He's seeking the Lord, and somebody's standing in between him and God. Somebody's standing in between him and him finding what he's looking for. Now, I want you to notice what Paul said to this man. He says, will you not cease to make crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? What does that sound like to you? That reminds me of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, when he was born, first words his daddy said was this child, he began to prophesy over him. His dad hadn't been able to speak since he was conceived, since before he was conceived. And so when he's born, his dad can speak again. He begins to prophesy over his son. And he prophesies that in Isaiah 40, when, when the Lord talks about this voice that's going to cry in the wilderness, make straight paths for the Lord, that this is what John's going to do. So when John grows up, he does that. In fact, we don't know when his parents died. We just know they were really old when he was born. So they were really old when he was born. And the Bible says as a boy, he went out in the wilderness and he grew up there. So I've always read that. And, and my assumption, you can draw your own once again. But my assumption is his parents probably died when he was young. They were already really old. And the Bible says as a boy, he goes out into the wilderness and he just grows up there. Why? Because the, because the thing his dad kept telling him, the prophecy that's been over his life, all his life, is he hears, you're the voice crying in the wilderness. So when mommy and daddy go, he goes, last thing I heard was I'm supposed to go in the wilderness. So he goes, he hangs in the wilderness, he starts eating locusts and honey, and uh, all right, fair enough, right? He grows up, he, he gets his own skin on, you know, he, he kills some animals and wears their fur and and we all, we've talked about this before, but he's probably not like Junior Armani. It probably was not a, the best designed cloak. He's just killing something, clevering himself with it. He probably stunk. He probably didn't have the best manners. He probably was not the kind of guy you'd want to invite to dinner, as King Herod found out. But here's a guy who will speak the word of God. He gets there. And what does he say over and over again? Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. In fact, why don't we read that from Isaiah 40? I want to read you the original prophecy. Because this is exactly what John said. Isaiah 40 starts out so calmly. It says, comfort, oh comfort my people. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was going to comfort somebody, I don't know if John was the guy I'd send. <laughs> He's not number one. Different people have different gifts. And as a pastor, you learn different people have different gifts. There are some people you send to somebody's hospital bed, and some you don't. 
There's some people you send to the front lines of battle, and there's some you send to go make them tea. They, different people have different gifts. John the Baptist, not the first guy that comes up when I think comfort. Comfort, oh, comfort my people. Mm-hmm. Comfort, oh, comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem. Call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Wow. Now he starts on a new topic a little bit here. He says, a voice is calling. It's linked. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. Let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Then, then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, call out. Then he answered, what shall I call out? He says, all flesh is grass. All of its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. Get yourself up on a high mountain. O Zion, bearer of good news, lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Now I want to just stop there because we really want to focus on the part that John had to play. Because in this chapter, there are a lot of people that play into this. John, his part was to be the guy that prepared the way of the Lord. Isn't it interesting to you that Jesus, the greatest teacher, the greatest preacher, the Son of God himself had to have a way prepared. You say, Jesus, you can do everything. Why don't you just prepare your own way? That's not how God did it. God sent John. John might have been rough around the edges. Jesus said, what were you looking for? What were you looking for? You heard about John the Baptist? He said, what were you looking for? Were you looking for somebody refined? Were you looking for somebody that grew up in palaces? You're looking in the wrong place. He said, don't go out to the wilderness and try to find somebody like that. Because the problem was they were offended at John the Baptist and they were offended offended at Jesus. John was too harsh. Jesus was too tolerant of sinners. He ate with them, he drank with them. Jesus said, what were you looking for? What were you expecting? (laughs) You go out to the middle of the wilderness where nobody refined lives. Who were you expecting? John stands up smelling like what he smells like, looking like what he looks like, Locusts are his favorite snack. And he gets up and he says, prepare a way of the Lord. And he preaches repentance. What is repentance? It is to change your mind, change your heart, turn and go the other way. Because they were going down a path that was not a straight path. If you look back at what was happening, whether it was political, religious, or everywhere else, it was crooked. And John says, make straight paths. In fact, he adds this, make straight paths in your heart. So there'd be a way prepared for the Lord. I love that in Isaiah, it says, you do this and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. God was preparing their hearts so that Jesus could come and preach to them and they'd receive it. And preach to them and they'd believe it. Because Jesus said... At one point, he says to the people he was talking to, he said, these guys, they've shut up their ears. They've shut their eyes. Their ears have become dull. 
Their eyes they barely see, with their ears they scarcely hear. Because if they could hear, if they could see, they would turn. And I would heal them. You see that? Repentance led to healing. And it still does, guys. It still does. Repentance leads to healing. If you will turn to God, turning to God also means turning from something else, doesn't it? You can't just turn to God and be facing the same old direction you were facing. You turn to God, you're turning your back. The Bible talks about, uh, Paul says, he's bragging on a church in Thessalonica. And he says, everybody's heard all over, all over Greece and even in Asia, they've heard how you turn from idols to serve the living God. You see, you can't serve idols and God. You've got to turn. And this is what happens. Jesus said, if you would turn, I would heal you. So that's why John the Baptist came preaching the baptism of repentance, the baptism of turning. Turn from your ways and turn to his ways. Because when you do, there will be a straight path. And Jesus is going to walk down that straight path. And you're walking the other way on that path. And you will meet. And you'll hear his words. And they will heal you. You will hear their, heal his words. Hear his words. And they will deliver you. They will set you free. This man was seeking God. There's a straight path. When you seek the Lord, there's a path being paved for the Lord to come and visit you, for you to receive from him. But this little toady whispering in his ear, tell him to believe this and not to believe those guys, was making that path crooked over and over and over again. Don't worry about it. God can deal with those guys. The verse I referenced earlier, we, we talked about Ephesians 6, but I also wanted to reference in 2 Corinthians when Paul says, you guys are looking at, people are talking about us like we use regular weapons, like we're just fleshly people. He says the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly. We don't deal with problems like everybody else deals with problems. We don't deal with situations like the world deals with situations. He says the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but they are mighty. And they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. He also says, we are destroying every vain imagination, every thought that exalts itself against God. Every thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What's he talking about? There's stuff going around. There's things people are believing. There's things people are saying. And it's causing this crooked, perverted way of thinking. It's twisted. And people are turning away from God. And he says, this is why we pray. This is why we do what we do. This is why we go and preach what we preach. Because God is taking those crooked paths and he's making them straight so that people that are seeking God will find God. Sometimes we, we waste so much time trying to get everybody in the world to be happy. I just want you all to be happy at our church service. What can I tell you? What, how, can we, how can we make this so that everybody who comes in those doors is happy? I want to tell you, I want people to be happy too. I like people. But more than anything, I want people who are seeking God to find them. I'd rather have that than everybody who walks in the door be comfortable. I want them to be comfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not if it keeps them from God. If I have a choice, come on. I mean, I was on a panel. I'm not going to, well, this is going on the internet. Um... <laughs> I've been on a panel before. It was public. Come on. It was public. I'm not judging this guy, but let's just talk about this. There was a fellow, and his, his opinion, there's three of us on the panel. We're talking about the future of the church. Oh, boy, why did you ask me that? 
I'm not, I'm not old as these guys. I was the youngest guy on the panel. Future of the church. Okay. It's a big question. And we're, we're having some healthy debate. But this other guy on the panel, one of the guys on the panel, his opinion was, we, our churches are not the kind of places that unbelievers want to come to. They're not the places that they, they fit in. And I believe, come on guys, we understand. Sometimes we're, we get in our little bubble. We get in our little culture and use our little language. And we forget God's called us to reach some people. <laughs> and people walk in going, you guys, I don't get anything. But here's the, the other side of it is, the other side of this is that the church is the called out gathering. And we want unbelievers to come in. I want the lost to come in. I want the messed up. I want the screw up. I want everybody to come in. But I want them to find God when they get here. That's what I want them to find. You know, and, and so I'm not going to pull. They're quoting stats. Here's what most unbelievers say they're looking for in a church. How in the world would they know what they're looking for? What, what in the world? Have you ever read the Bible? It says these hearts, they're not seeking God. There's nobody. That's, I mean, they don't know what... Come on, man. Without the Holy Spirit, how do you know what you're looking for? You know, Henry Ford said this. It was, I mean, I'm just one of the rare occasions I'm going to quote Henry Ford in a sermon. But Henry Ford said, he said, if I'd asked my customers what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. <laughs> People don't know what they need without Jesus. You don't know what you're looking for. But I'll tell you, if somebody's looking for God, I want to be a place. I want to be a person that if they come to me, they'll find him. And it'll probably be something totally different than they were looking for. But if they're looking for God, they're going to find him. If they're seeking the presence of God, they're going to find it. Yeah, okay. I mean, you know, let's, let's help our ushers out. You know, if they're, if they're being weird, let's, let's fix it up. Now, our ushers aren't like that. If, if, some of, if some of our methods are driving people away and it's not because we're, we're loving Jesus, it's just because we're just doing things strange, well, let's fix it. But more than anything, let's, let's make this a place where God likes to be, where God likes it. If, 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 if the Lord's happy here, then people who are seeking the Lord will be happy because they'll find him. Now, he's everywhere. I know that. He's with you wherever you go. But I want to make a place where he is king and he rules. So anyways, I want a straight path, a straight path. To me, as we read through the scripture, a straight path is a path where people who are seeking find Jesus, where his word is clearly spoken to them, where his presence is felt. A straight path is a path where those that are looking for him will find him, and those that aren't, hopefully they see what everybody else is, is getting, and they taste and see and see that the Lord is good. John said, you need to turn from some stuff because we need to make a path for the Lord. Now, that may sound strange to you. Say, can't the Lord bulldoze his own path? He can. But the truth is, he's telling you, make a straight path in your heart. This man was making crooked the ways of the Lord. He was twisting things. He was perverting things. God dealt with it. God will find the seekers, and he will deal with the fakers, won't he? And I believe in this day and age, in 2014, we are reaching the point where the world just won't, it won't be enough for us to have a nice, tame, nice little philosophy or Christianity that, that, that just kind of hits all the check boxes. We have got to be people that are sold out to Jesus and are really expecting him to meet people where they are. We have got to be the kind of people that expect that God is going to shake things up and it's going to be wonderful. We want to see the glory of God. 
I don't want to just preach a nice message. I mean, I just, I mean, I don't know about you, but you got other things to do on a Wednesday night, Sunday morning, than just meeting together and hearing something nice and going home. We want God. We want him. We want everything he is. We want all that he's got to offer. We want to be changed and transformed. We want the world, we want this beautiful city around us to see Jesus. If that's going to happen, if the glory of the Lord's going to be seen, let's make those straight paths. You know, what's interesting is Jesus said to the Pharisees, you know, Paul called this guy a son of the devil, right? Jesus called the Pharisees a son of the devil more than once. Remember in John 8, we talked about that on Sunday? He said, your father's the devil. Why? Not because, they're, they're, not because their mom had a weird relationship and their stepdad was just odd. No, their father's the devil because you do, you, you've, you've chosen to believe him. You've chosen to follow him. You've chosen to let his reality be your reality. And you don't believe in me, he says. He says, and your father's a liar. Do you notice that's exactly what Paul said about this guy? You're a liar. You're full of deceit, you son of the devil. Can anybody here just picture yourself saying that to somebody? <laughs> Going up to somebody, hanging around the House of Commons, and you have this argument? <laughs> yeah, that's not a fun conversation to have. <laughs> Things might change if people start going blind around you, though. Maybe they'll let you give you some space. I don't know. But here's what happens. He says, he says you are full of deceit, you son of the devil. Remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees? He says, you're of your father, the devil. He's a liar. He's always been a liar. And so when he lies, that's just his nature. And you, you can't even hear the truth because you're so full of lies. So there is a spirit of this world that is that the, the Bible talks about over and over again. It, it's the same thing that the devil, Jesus said, the devil is a father of lies. There are lies being portrayed as truth and people are believing it. And we might look around and go, why do people believe this? And why don't people see the truth for what it is? And you know what we got to do? We got to take our place and our authority as sons and daughters. And we have got to stand up and not fight people, but fight that spiritual force of wickedness. You go and you preach the truth. And you know what? Let God worry about the fakers. Let God worry about those that are, that are blocking the path. He will deal with those that are blocking the path. Jesus said to those Pharisees, he looked at them and he said, you take a guy from the world and you train them up, and you make them twice the son of hell that you are. He says, you guys, you stand with your religion. You stand at the gates of the kingdom, and you don't go in. But what else did he say? You don't let anyone else go in. So what did Jesus do? What did John do? Bulldozer. <laughs> when the Pharisees showed up, when the religious leaders showed up at the water to be baptized because it was the hip thing to do, Jesus, John the Baptist said to them, who warned you? Who invited you, you brood of vipers? Who warned you of the, of, the, of the things to come? Who warned you? He says, if you really repented, bear fruits in accordance to repentance. Oh, he called them out. Jesus called them out. He dealt with that. And I believe God's dealing with this now. He's making a straight path. He's making straight paths. You know, in Hebrews it says, Hebrews it's talking about in that chapter, he's talking about discipline because things have been hard. As he writes that letter, he's writing it to people that have had a hard time. He says, the Lord is discipling you. Say, when we hear discipline, we flinch. <laughs> but discipline is the same as discipling, isn't it? It's the same word. 
The Lord is discipling. He's training you so that you'll endure. Even when things get tough, you'll endure. Like a, like a soldier is trained. Like a, a, an Olympic athlete is trained. You're being trained so that when things get rough, you keep going. He says, so don't take the discipline of the Lord lightly. Because if he loves you, he'll discipline you like a father. He says, if you're not being disciplined, <laughs> you're, you're illegitimate. That's everybody's favorite verse. You all got it on your refrigerators, I know. You got it on posters. It's on Instagram. It's, it's one of those tough ones, isn't it? Said if God loves you, he's going to discipline you. But you know, the problem is we think of God still as an abusive father. We don't realize the father that he is. He's good. He's doing this because he loves you. He's not putting cancer on you to discipline you guys. Come on. You got to know who God is. You got to know who the other guy is. Anyways, God disciplined them so they would endure. He said discipline. In fact, he says no discipline feels good at the moment. Sometimes the thing the Lord deals with you about, you're like, oh, man, I thought I was doing good. But he says he's doing this so that you'll endure. Then he says this. He says, therefore, strengthen. Strengthen. The hands that hang down, strengthen the knees that are feeble, strengthen those that are about to fall down, strengthen them. And it says, make straight paths for your feet. In fact, you know what? Let's just read it because instead of me quoting it, I need you to see it. I need you to see this. In the book of Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews 12, 12, I'll give you a minute to get there. I believe God is making a straight path in Lloyd Mansell. Do you know what that's going to mean? Anybody? Absolutely. People are going to get saved. People who are seeking God will find him. The glory of the Lord will be revealed amongst us. Come on. We've seen glimpses of it. It's been wonderful. But I want more. I'm not satisfied. I'm not, I'm not done with the way we've had it. I want more. We got to get rid of, hey, guys, if, if, if the enemy uses deceitful people to make a crooked path, let's get deceit out of us. Let's be open before God. Let's just be, as, as the Apostle Paul said, we are all laid open before him with whom we have to do. We are laid open before God. Isn't it wonderful that even when you're laid open before him, he still keeps you around. And he loves you and he cleans you up and he puts a fresh robe on you and he calls you clean, he calls you holy, and he calls you his. So why would we hide from him? You can't hide from God. You never could. There's nothing you can hide from him in a special little corner. Just let him deal with it. Let his grace be more than enough for you. Let his blood do what his blood was meant to do. Let him make you clean. Let him make you holy. Get rid of deceitfulness. Get rid of trickery. Get rid of all that stuff and just be who you are. Be who God made you to be and grow and grow and grow. But don't ever try to live two lives. Just be one before him. Here's what it says in Hebrews 12. Make straight paths for your feet so that the limb... Well, you know, I'm going to start verse 12 again. Hebrews 12, 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes our instinct is to kick the, the weak hands and the weak knees out. We don't need you. You're slowing us down. You are watering down the Kool-Aid. Get out of here. Kool-Aid's a bad example. <laughs> Some of you are going to Jonestown with that example. <laughs> no, 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 no. 
That is not what we're looking at. Therefore, strengthen. See, this is what the Lord says. You find someone around you that's struggling, it's having a hard time. You don't say, I only hang around people that are more spiritual than me because that's how I grow. That works great. I know people have said that. But you know the problem with that? If the people you want to hang around think that, they're not going to hang around with you. <laughs> Your plan is flawed. We all need somebody stronger than us. We all need somebody weaker than us. You grab some people around you that are having a hard time, and you do what you can to strengthen them through the power of the Holy Spirit, not through your own strength, but through his. Strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. What do you do? You make straight paths for your feet. You walk righteous before your God. You let him Fix what he needs to fix. You let him rearrange what he needs to arrange. You mean the words in the song that says, my heart is yours, my life is yours, take it all. You mean that, and you let him straighten some things. And when he makes a straight path, it says that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Isn't that what Jesus said? When people turn to me, I will heal them. We're looking for people to be healed. We're looking for people to be delivered. We're looking for people who are seeking God to find him. When they find him, they find what they need. Verse 14, because these are connected. It says, pursue peace with all men. And the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. That's a big thing, isn't it? Pursue peace. Do you know what pursue means? Chase it after. Hunt it down. You don't just, you don't just stumble upon peace. Sometimes you got to be the one that's looking for it, that's fighting for it. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification. Because you've been sanctified, you've been clean, you've been made holy. Let your life match that. Pursue it. Pursue living a life. What does sanctification really mean? The word sanctify means to set apart. That, that setting apart your life for him. That's different than everyone else around you. It's different because you're seeking him. Let that, pursue that sanctification because without that, no one sees God. And it says this. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. And by it many are defiled. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau. Who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards when he desired to inherit the blessing. He was rejected. For he found no place for repentance though he sought for it with tears. And so he's saying guys you need to seek the Lord. But you need to make it so that those people around you. That don't know any better. That are struggling. You need to make it so they can be strengthened and held up if they're struggling you hold them up you make straight paths so that the people that are seeking him find him and he says you make sure that bitterness doesn't spring up you make sure that strife doesn't have a place you make sure that you're not a stumbling block to somebody because ultimately we want to see people seeking and finding Jesus and I believe he's making a straight path a highway in the desert when John said quoting Isaiah the mountains will be leveled, and the valleys will be lifted. You saw that in action, didn't you? The Pharisees come along all proud, all stuck up. Pride is a blocker. Pride will keep you from getting and receiving from the Lord. What, is, what does the scripture say? We just read it. 
not long ago. It says, God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. Let's flip that around. It says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So that pride will keep you from receiving from God. So what did John do? He saw mountains and he knocked them down. Who are you? Who warned you? You guys are so high and mighty, back it up. Somebody invited him to dinner at the king's house and he calls him out for, for sleeping with his brother's wife. These are, if he had read some etiquette books, some manners books, he would have known it's not the proper place to bring such things up. You might lose your head. And he did. But here's the deal. At the same time, God was lifting up the valleys. And I love that. See, he didn't just level the mountains. He lifted up the valleys. And you think about all those messed up, sinful, twisted, broken people that came to Jesus. Even that came to John. And John said, you repent and you'll be forgiven. Come on, in the old covenant, you couldn't just say things like that. There was no precedent in the old covenant to go underwater and come up clean. Without the shedding of blood, there was no remission of sins. And yet God was looking ahead to the shedding of his own son's blood, Jesus' blood for them on the cross. And he took that as a symbol. And so John said, if you'll repent, I'm going to baptize you and you'll be clean. And you'll be able to face Jesus and hear what he says from a clean and pure heart. Think about all the people that got a second chance. Think about all the people that thought they weren't worthy of God. Think about all the people that Jesus said, like that, that weirdo Zacchaeus that's up in the tree. Who does that? He's just up in the tree, a grown man, grown man, a short man, but a grown man up in a tree seeking Jesus. And nobody thinks he's worthy of Jesus. Everybody thinks he's the biggest loser in town and not just the biggest loser because somehow we feel like we're, we're religious enough that we feel like we should be nice to the biggest losers. But we feel we have a right to be mean to the loser if he's a sinful loser. Right? That's how you justify it. Yeah, he's a loser. I should be nice to lose. But he's sinful and I don't want to pollute myself. Right. Jesus calls him out and everybody's just shocked. Because everybody, I mean, there's some important people in the crowd, and they think, Jesus, he can, he's going to have dinner at my place because I'm the most important person in town. i got the biggest reputation. Jesus calls out the weirdo in the tree and says, hey, I'm coming to your house. <laughs> what happened when Jesus came to his house? He stands up. Jesus doesn't spend the whole meal <laughs> smacking him in the head. But the man stands up, and he says, I've cheated people. I've robbed people. And I'm going to pay it back four times what I've stole. See, that's what happens when broken, messed up people come and find the acceptance in Jesus, find that, that they're receiving Jesus. They don't stay in their sinful ways. They turn. That's what Zacchaeus did. He turned. So I'm looking at the mountains being leveled. Those are the Religious high ups. These are the, not just the religious, but also the political high ups. The people that are too proud to receive anything from God. But I also look at those total mess ups in society and the bad people and the broken people and the twisted people. And how God filled in the valleys and brought them up so that they found themselves worthy to stand in the presence of the Son of God. And that's what he wants to do here. You know what? We just saw an example in Acts 13 of a mountain getting knocked down.
of a path being straightened out. And God will do that. Because God loved that man enough. (laughs) You may not think of it this way, but it was the love of God that put a mist over that guy's eyes. It was love for the man who was seeking God. It was even mercy for the guy that got blind. Mercy, you're going to be blind for a time. It'll be better for you. Trust me, you'll thank me later. (laughs) You'll thank me later. I know what I'm talking about happening. Somebody doesn't want me to talk. <laughs> They're just, uh, sound guys are deciding that the sermon should be over now. <laughs> so, it was the mercy of God that put a mist over that guy's eyes. It was the love of God that did it. God loves people enough that he will knock down some mountains to get to him. He'll straighten some paths to get to him. He'll raise up some valleys so that they believe I'm worthy to stand in the presence of God because of what he's done for me. And I want you to be one of these people that God can use to reach those people that are seeking. Because you know what? Sometimes the seeking come to the right place, but often God sends somebody to them because they don't know where to go. They don't know what they're looking for. But God knows and God loves them. Don't you worry about those people standing in the way. God will deal with them. He'll deal with them because he loves somebody enough to straighten out a path so that they can find him. This is our God. And what did that verse in Isaiah say? It said that God's going to straighten the path out. Valleys will be leveled. I'm sorry, valleys will be lifted up, mountains will be leveled, rough places will be smoothed out, crooked places will be straight, a way, a highway will be made for our God. Then what does it say? Get up on a high mountain. Well, yeah, it says, then you, the glory of the Lord will be revealed. I, sorry, I skipped that. That's pretty important. The glory of the Lord will be revealed. All flesh will see it. Then what does it say to you? Get up on a high mountain. O Zion, bearer of good news. And you guys are part of that new Zion, aren't you? You're bearers of good news. The gospel, that's what it means, good news. Lift up your voice mightily, O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up and don't fear. Don't you think some guy who's pretty important and he's, he's, he's the right-hand man of the guy that's in charge of the whole island, don't you think that guy is somebody most people would be afraid of? But those men of God stood in front of him and didn't flinch and didn't back down. They just said the word of the Lord, and God dealt with that guy. He says, don't be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. I'm looking forward to that. And I trust some of you are doing that already. That's, that's been your life. Now, I know we're in Lloydminster, so there's not a lot of high places. What he's talking about is don't be afraid to say stuff publicly. Don't, don't be afraid to spread the good news whenever God gives you an opportunity. God is making a path. He's getting rid of the, the twisted thinking. He's getting rid of all the manipulation, and he's making a path so that there will be those that are seeking him. Guys, there are people that are seeking God that have no idea what that looks like. 
They're looking for God, and they're looking at all these new age things and mysticism, and they're looking here and they're looking there, and they don't know what they're looking for. They don't know how they'll find it, but they're looking for God, and God has been looking for them. He's never lost them. He always knew where they were, but he's been seeking them and drawing them. Be the one he can use, and watch what God can do. Can we stand up together? The Lord is good. The Lord is good. Man, I'm so excited about what he's doing in our city, in our region. I mean, we have only scratched the surface. But can you put yourself in the position of Paul and Barnabas there? Would you be scared off? Would you stand there and say, God will take care of this? But he will move heaven and earth to get to a, a man or a woman that's seeking him. Some of you are evidence of that. Anybody here experienced God moving mountains to get to them? I mean, not literal mountains probably. Yeah, I've seen a few. I think all of us, if we were to look back, you know, what he did to get to you was amazing. His love is absolutely relentless. His love, his mercy for us is overwhelming. Thank God. The Bible says it's the mercy of God that, that we're not all consumed. He has he's sought your heart and you've been seeking him and you found him and we're still seeking. So Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you loved us enough that we would seek and that we would find, that we would knock and the door would be open. We'd ask and that we'd receive. We thank you, Lord, that you're a good God who does not hide himself from those that seek, but you want to be found. You said you will seek me and you will find me when you seek for me with all your heart. I thank you, Lord, that you have not only sent people to us when we were seeking, but you're sending us to those that are seeking. And you're making a straight path in Lloyd Minster. But if it's going to be a straight path in Lloyd Minster, there's got to be straight paths in our hearts. So, Lord, I'm asking you right now, and I realize this is a big thing, but I want everybody to agree with me. If you're, if you're on board with this, agree with me here. That the God would straighten out our own hearts. And if there's things in our lives that need to be made straight, he'd straighten that out too. That he would get rid of all deceit and pride that's been twisting the path that he'd make it straight, not only that we would see him clearly, but that others would see him clearly through us, that we'd be able to help and reach out to those that are struggling, the hands that hang down, the knees that are weak, those that are feeble, and that we'd be able to say, hey, I can help you because someone helped me. Because whatever your issue is, whatever your problem is, it's not bigger than our God. It's not bigger than his, his grace. It is not stronger than his blood. Lord, that a straight path would be made. That your presence would not just be known about, but would be experienced. And it would change us and transform us. That we'd be so aware of you. That we'd be so aware of you every day and aware of your presence, aware of your word. Just knowing that you're here. Not because of what we feel. Not because of what we see, but because we know who you are. That we'd be so aware of you. 
that our lives would be lived as, as unto you, as a song that we wrote for you, as a, as, a, as a story that we're living out that you wrote for us. And Lord, I'm thankful that you've called us for such a time as this. As messed up as we were, as, as broken as we might have been, as unqualified as we thought we were, you used us. You made us qualified. You made us worthy. And you healed our brokenness. And you've, you, you're still healing us and still, still bringing us out. So we thank you for it, Lord. Send us to those that need you. May straight paths be made that those that are seeking will find. Those that are lost will be found. In Jesus' name. You know what's just been over and over, and we talked about it a little bit in Texture Canada while we were there. But Luke chapter 15, there are three parables in Luke 15. And they're all tied together. Parable of the lost sheep, parable of the lost coin, parable of the lost son. The lost son we often call the prodigal son. In each three of those parables, something is lost and something is found. But the theme that runs through all of them, when the shepherd finds the sheep that was lost. When the woman finds the coin that was lost. When the father has a son who is lost come home and is found. What's said in every parable, rejoice with me, for that which is lost is found. You know why he told those three parables? Because the Pharisees were upset that sinners were coming to him. And they refused to rejoice. We are in a day and age where the lost are being found at a rapid rate. People that you don't think deserve to be at the party are being invited by Jesus himself. And you don't want to be that brother who won't come into the party and partake of the feast because you're too upset that that person got in. Because guess what? If you're upset that person got in and you don't go in, he's in and you're not. You're the guy on the outside. He's the guy on the inside. So the theme here is rejoice with me. He says it three times. Rejoice with me. That's what God's saying. Rejoice with me. People are getting saved. Rejoice with me. Are they messed up? Yeah. They're totally messed up. That's why they need Jesus. Rejoice. Because the lost are found. Trust the Holy Spirit. He can fix them. And he will. He might use you to help. Thank God. Rejoice. There's, we just need to have a little bit more rejoicing. Amen. The lost are being found. I think that's something worthy of much rejoicing. Be happy. Don't be that idiot who says, who sees the paralyzed guy get healed. And, and instead of noticing that the guy is healed, you're saying, who are you to forgive sins? Don't be that guy that the hand gets healed and you go, but you did it on the Sabbath. I mean, come on. Rejoice. The paralyzed are being healed. The, the, the hand that didn't work before works now. The dead are being raised. Who cares if it happened on the Sabbath? Who cares if it didn't fit your box of how God should behave? Will you just rejoice that he's doing something? Yeah. Amen. I will too.